This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 273. Hello, everybody. So you may have noticed on last week's show, 272, we technically cheated by having a guest. Eh, kind of, but we're still going to have a guest but, now. But this is an odd-numbered show. We're still going to have a guest on the show. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and amazing wife, Anitra. That's me. Uh, and this week, we are also joined by Danielle, who's best known for her YouTube channel, Board Game Bakes. Hi, Danielle. I'm really happy to be here. All right. So we're excited to have you. So we met, we actually ran into each other at PAX. You said, hey, I know who you are. I recognize your logo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. And we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about when that was a little bit later when we talk about like what we've been playing, maybe when we get into the second half of the show, because we always have to start off the show with a fact. I have a fact for you. Are okay. you ready for a fact? Fact about 273. Fact Go about ahead. 273. Okay. So in the United States... We often talk about Fahrenheit and Celsius. Yes. Right. Do you know what the calculation, the conversion calculation is between Fahrenheit and Celsius? Oh, I usually fudge it big time. It it's involves... like something about five ninths or something. Yeah, something like yeah. that. You know what? That's confusing. And I don't want to talk about that calculation right now. Instead... I mostly just remember that zero Celsius is freezing and 100 Celsius is boiling. Yep. So anything above about 50 Celsius is real bad. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's real bad. <laughs> you want to know something else that's really interesting about zero Celsius? Sure. So unlike Fahrenheit and Celsius, where because there's some wacky calculation, the different degrees are, are they're separated yeah, differently, like the... that is not true for Celsius and Kelvin. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have Kelvin, not talked about Kelvin in a long time. I know, because we don't talk about it in the United States. Kelvin and Celsius have the same measure of degree. However, Kelvin is on a different scale. Yeah, the Kelvin scale starts at a different place. Correct. Zero Kelvin is absolute zero. No energy whatsoever. You zero can't Kelvin, get any colder. Zero Kelvin is negative 273 degrees Celsius. Which means zero degrees Celsius is 273 degrees Kelvin. Excellent! And that is my fact about the number 273. What do you think about that one? Brings me back to my chemistry days. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a cool fact about the number 273. That's when you started cool. mentioning it, I was like, oh yeah, that's an important number. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sometimes, sometimes my facts are a little bit more contrived than others. This one is actually something that is relevant. I, I didn't have to like mine the history of baseball statistics for some <laughs> random thing. Or something like I that. I got it. I got yeah. it. All right. So that is our fact for this episode. Zero Celsius, 273 Kelvin. So the temperature of snow is snow, 273 Kelvin. Snow, 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 snow. snow. Okay. All right. Anyway, sorry. We were White just Christmas. watching that movie. I apologize. Anyway, um, Anitra, you have a fact about I, our sponsor. I do have a fact All about right. our sponsor. Okay. Did you know that according to a recent poll sponsored by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, only 18% of Americans feel very confident about their retirement? So if you aren't sure about retirement, you're not alone. If you want to talk to a professional to see if you're on track to achieve your goals, 
Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to schedule a quick free phone call and see if First Move is the right fit for you. All right. Thank you so much to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. So, uh, Danielle, so we mentioned that you have a YouTube channel called Board Game Bakes. We're going to really talk about a whole bunch of the cool stuff that, that you've done on your channel. I have some things that we need to talk about. But <laughs> um, just give, give the listeners a little bit of an intro of kind of like what you do. So generally, I take a game, and if I can, I like recreate the literal components. So one of my most popular ones is I literally made the Carcassonne tiles. So you, Very cool. I don't know if you want to make all of them, because that would take a very long time. <laughs> but you can at least fit them together, like the actual tiles. And one of the ones I repeat the most is I made edible codenames. So I made like the two different teams, two different flavors, and the bystanders were just like regular sugar cookies. And then I may have put hot sauce on the assassin. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's that. That's amazing. That's awesome. At the time, I, we have the bomb sauce, which is like one, the sauce they use on hot ones. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. I may have put that on the assassin. Nice. <laughs> you didn't well, want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to hold myself Excellent. back talking about some of the other amazing stuff that I have seen on your channel. We will talk about that later, I promise, because some of it is really cool. Also, I have eaten your bakes, which is fantastic. Oh, you got and a it, cookie. <laughs> I did get a cookie. <laughs> and you didn't even give it to me. I got it, like, third that hand. Was, it was... That was funny to be like, oh, look, I got a cookie from Risa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm glad I made it to you. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. All right, so why don't we do this? Let's take a couple of minutes... Um, to talk about what we've been playing. We've been playing some games. Yeah. I have not been playing a lot of games, but I have been playing a game that you have never played before. Correct. So do you want me to start? Yes, go All ahead. All right. So uh, earlier this week, I sat down with Asher, and I got a chance to play The Loop by Pandasaurus. Yeah, he's been asking me to play this, and yeah. I've just been too busy. Have you have you played this game? Are you familiar with this game? I got to see it at Gen Con. Mm -hmm. All right. So in the loop, it's a cooperative game where everybody's playing against Dr. Foe. And there's this cool tower in the middle of the board, which kind of functions as a randomization tower. So at the beginning of your turn, you'll be told where to turn that tower to face. But there's three outlets to the tower. So when you drop cubes in the top of the tower, they might go to three different places. Okay. So the board is, I want to say it has six sections. That sounds right. Uh, and they're all different eras, okay? And so going forward in your eras is going clockwise around the board. Going backwards is going... That's counterclockwise. Wittershins. Wittershins. Is you British? <laughs> Are you British? I, I, I call it Wittershins because nobody knows what Wittershins means, so that's what I say. And so what's going on is uh, on the edge, when you set the game up, on the edges of each of these eras, there are different missions or goals. And they're all face down except for two of them. So what you need to do is you need to clear these missions before certain failure conditions happen on the board. Okay. And so you have a hand of cards that have symbols on them. And you can play every card that's in your hand. And you get one free movement action. So the cards are, are different things like clear... Um, I don't, they're not called vortexes, but there's these red cubes that are like bad. Um, you know, clear a red cube off of the era that you're on or off of a, a different era, uh, like like an adjacent era or something mm -hmm. like that. So uh, if too many red cubes collect, then it turns the era into a vortex. And if a, vor if a vortex has a collection of red cubes on it, then that era is lost and you immediately lose the game. Mm -hmm. Or if there are four vortexes on the board, active vortexes, you lose the game. You know, so there's a bunch of, of failure conditions like that. Also, every turn you have to put another clone of Dr. Foe on the board. And so the clones 
uh, when you pull red cubes to drop into the tower in the middle, it's always like whatever the primary place is, it's like two plus the number of clones in that place. That's how many red cubes you have. Okay. So you, you're constantly trying to like manage these clones and try to eliminate clones while you're trying to complete the goals, which could be things like add an energy to you know each of the six different eras. And every time you add an energy, you put a little token on it to show that you've added an energy to that particular era or you know sure. whatever it might be. Or you know kill a clone in you know four different eras or do this. You know, so they're kind of mechanically tied in um, missions, right? It's not okay. like a completely separate mission. It's like the kinds of things that you do in the game, do them in a certain way to complete that mission. Sure, sure. So you're trying to complete these missions while you're trying to beat off these clones, and you're trying to keep the vortices from growing, and there mm -hmm. being too many of them, and you're kind of doing all these things at once. But the reason why the game is called The Loop is because of all the cards that are in your hand, they all have di a different symbol on them. One of them is like blank, and then there's like a little spiral, and there's a little star, whatever. Sure. So you, you can play all the cards in your hand, and they don't really cost anything to play. But once you've played everything out, you can, at the cost of energy from your era, so if you've got energy on your era, you can spend an energy to perform a loop, which means that any cards of a single symbol, you can pull back up into your hand. So if you happen to have a hand of cards where like three of them have the same symbol on them, that's probably the one that you're going to want to loop that turn. Okay, which means you pull them back up in your hand and then you can play them and again play immediately them again. Yep. the same turn. Yep, exactly. Okay. So that's kind of where the loop comes from. And then, like, let's say you had, like, two star ones and two spiral ones and you really want to do all of them, so you, you would do a, a loop for one energy and then you could do a second loop for two energy and then, I mean, hypothetically, you could do a third loop for three energy, you know what I mean? Mm. But that's kind of the, the, the main mechanics of the game. All the different characters that you play have slightly different asymmetric player powers. Um, but it's just kind of a fun game, and, and there's a little bit of, you know, a cooperative strategy there. You do have to be a little bit mindful of the whole quarterbacking thing because, you know, you want to let people play the game. Sure. But it's it's pretty fun. It's it's very reminiscent of, like, the Citadel of Time, Professor Evil and Citadel oh, yeah, of Time, yeah. or something like that. One of those kinds of games where there's sort of a bunch of mixed-together, you know, mission goal kind of things that you're trying to do to keep the big, bad, evil man from... Whatever happens when you lose the game, I don't really know. Sure, it's like sure. it's I, I don't know. It's the sure it's multiverse to do it time. or something. I, I probably pr presumably, but um. So that's the loop from Pandasaurus. It's definitely fun. It's definitely a game I want to play a lot more of. Like we probably went through like a third of the cards in the deck because there's these artifacts you draw and those are how you get more stuff in your hand and stuff like that. So okay. there's lots of replayability in this thing. There are characters or, or, or situations that are kind of ranked as harder than other ones. So we were able to win. Obviously, we'll make it harder in the future. I don't know. It's fun. What did you think of it, Danielle, when you saw it at Gen Con? I thought it was cool. It was just like a demo, but I liked how it spun around and it didn't seem like it was... It, you had to definitely work together to get it done, but... Mm -hmm. Is fun level of collaboration. Yeah, it definitely like ebbed and flowed. Like there were times when we were like, oh, we got this in the bag. And then there were times we were like, oh crap, this is about to be not good. So um, there was a lot of push and pull, as you like to say, mm. with regards to, you know, whether or not you're going to be successful. So that was All the right. loop. Cool. So Daniel, what have you been playing? Uh, well, I'm looking at my friends actually host game night every Friday. So my husband and I take turns going. So we'll all oh, take excellent. times. All going. right. All right. So last week we got, I got to play some of the crew and ten by AEG. Cool. I learned ten a couple of weeks ago. That was fun and not what I was expecting when I sat down to that game. Yeah, I actually I did the AEG big game night. So okay. I taught the game to people before I'd actually played it. 
Whoops. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, well, I mean, if you, as long as you know how to play, that's fine. So I know no, I've seen the box. I know nothing about this game. Yeah, the box doesn't really tell you much. <laughs> but the actual game's fun. It's kind of like a pressure luck set building game, I'd say. Okay. There's four different colors. So each turn you pressure luck. And the cool thing is that there's number cards. So if the number cards would equal to 11, so over 10, then you bust. But there's also ones that have pips on it. And if those get to over 10, you also bust. But when you're adding up your total to bust for the numbers, they count as negative. So it's like plus, minus, plus, minus. So definitely winds up that some turns you have like six cards out and other times you like draw nine and you're like, I'm good. I'm out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no more. This no is more. good. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, it's another white chip and another white chip and another yeah. white chip. Yeah. Well, so it's also got this bidding mechanism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if Every you do bust. Wild, you have to bid too. <laughs> yeah. So if you do bust, that lets people get chips in another way, I think. But anytime you draw a wild, everybody bids on it. Um, you don't get to keep that wild. Oh, I see. And also, if you choose to take the numbers from your turn, then everyone else gets the money that's shown. So if you have seven money shown, you get the cards, but then everyone else will have more money to bid on the next thing. But it was also vice versa, right? If you take, if you decide to take the money instead, the then go to those the cards get, market. get, oh, they don't get bid on. They go out to the, the main market. That's right. Yeah. So there's a lot to do. This sounds a lot more complicated than I thought it was in the beginning. Well, exactly. <laughs> it looks super simple and the flow definitely makes sense once you get into it. But if you were just sitting there watching it, you'd be like, wait, this time you took the cards but that time, all the cards went in the middle, and this third time, everybody bid on the cards? What? Yeah, it's almost like for sale, where it's like, wait, wait, what are you bidding on, quoting to buy things and spend what? Yeah. Bid, turn around and use what you bid on to bid on other stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. Like you do. But it's very enjoyable, and it's one of those games where, like, you seem like you, uh, the game ends when all the cards are gone. So I feel like in the beginning, it's like, oh, it's going really slow, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, it's done. Oh, it's <laughs> oh, all gone. Oh. Hmm. How'd that happen? <laughs> that's funny. So, Anitra, I see on this list that you've been playing a bunch of games that I really like. Uh, I've been playing some more Abandoned Old Artichokes. I think it's a great intro to deck building with kids who are old enough to read. I've played other games that are also good intros to deck building, but Abandoned Old Artichokes, the concept is so simple of like, look, right now you have 10 artichokes in your deck and you draw a hand of five every turn. You win the game by being able to draw five cards off the top of your deck and have a hand that has no artichokes. So literally just, you're always coming up with ways, pulling cards from the center, adding them to your hand, and then playing them out in ways that let you get rid of artichokes or pass them to other players or shuffle them into the bottom of your deck all the time. I, I mean, it's a great, have you have you played Abandoned All Artichokes? Oh, I can't speak. Not have yet. you played it? Okay. So <laughs> I don't want to tell you that it would be a cool thing for your channel, but all the artichokes have different adorable faces. <laughs> so they are not all the same. To be fair, all just of the cards- are vegetables with adorable faces. That's true. That's true. That's game right, right? It is. Yes. It, and they, you know, I talk about it all the time with game right. I mean, yes, it's just a deck of cards, but it's like 12 bucks because it's a game right game. I don't know how they do it, but, you know, it's it's, it's a nice deck of cards in a, yeah. in a real sweet tin mm-hmm. that yep. doesn't fit on any shelves really well, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest problem with the game, but that's okay. Yeah. So... Um, what else? You and I had a little date night, and we uh, did. And we we crammed in a, uh, a, a three quarters of a play of Tussie Mussie. 
I mean, we were basically done except for final scoring, and then we're like, eh, we got other things to yep. do. And our so. friends came, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but so. I really love keeping that one in my purse for mm-hmm. moments like that. It's a good game. Probably why. I, I the mean, expansion might be so. fulfilling sometimes. So. Oh, that would be Finally. nice. What's it called? Tussie Mussie. Uh, this is a button shy game, and it was designed by Elizabeth Hargrave of wow. Wingspan fame. It is actually the second game of hers that was published. Yes. Tussie Mussie is a two to four player I Split You Choose game. It's an interesting way to handle that mechanic because normally that doesn't work with two players. But in this case, when it is your turn to make the offer, you look at two cards from the top of the deck. And then you offer to the person next to you one face up and one face down. They can't know what the face down was one is unless they pick it. So they pick one of the two, you take the other one back. And it goes into your little tableau of four cards at the end. And after everybody has four cards, then you flip them over and score. Because it's only 18 cards, every card is unique. And they all, you know, feed off each other in interesting ways. And there's a lot of this playing mind games with the people you're playing with I can to see try that. to get them to pick the card you want them to take and leave you the card that you want to keep. Yeah, a lot of the cards, so there's, I think, yellow, purple, pink, and red. Are the, the And white. And white and white yeah. are the colors in the deck. And so there's three or four of, of each one. And so some cards would be like, get an extra point for every card, every white card, including this one that's in your... Uh, it's either keepsakes, which are face down, or bouquet, which is face up. Or get an extra three points if none of your cards have hearts on them, because hearts, hearts are, on the are cards just are just straight, straight up points. points. Or, you know, get an extra point for every heart that you, you know, it's, so it's stuff like that. So when something's face up and something's face down, you have partial, maybe you have partial information about what some of the other players have. You have complete information of what you have, because once you take a face down card, you can look at it. So you're not completely in the dark. But yeah, it's a really interesting. It's a little bit of, of like a kind of a social deduction, not really, not social deduction like the mechanic, but there's definitely some like trying to read the other player and yeah. trying to figure out like, oh, well, they put this face up and it would be good for me. So they must really want what's face down. So maybe I take that just to spite them, but maybe I really want the thing that's good for me. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that kind of thing. Do I risk again. giving up this thing that I know is going to be good for me for this other thing that they might want more? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's kind of, that's the game. And it goes pretty quickly. Uh, you play two rounds of it. So you play around. So I believe you're supposed to play as many rounds as you have players. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I thought it was just you go clockwise and then you go Wittershins. Counterclockwise. Wittershins. I don't remember. I I so rarely play with more than two players. That right. It's, it's just a great matter. two player. It's, it's very simple. You know, yeah. you just pick it up, think for an inordinate amount of time, and then you put them down. And then you set two cards yeah. down. Yep, that's it. <laughs> And stare at the other person. Uh, so how much of the crew did you play? We only did, well, maybe we succeed at two random missions and then failed four times at another mission. <laughs> that sounds about right for the crew. Yeah, I mean, we... like I would five people, and I think five people is a little... Ooh, five people is a lot rough. more difficult. What yeah. did we play at, four? Uh, we did a little bit of five. We mostly did it at four. I went to Dice Tower Con 2019, and we probably went through 10 or 15 missions because it was all gamers and we were like we're gonna we're gonna crush this and then you know three hours and 15 Uh, minutes later mm -hmm. we were like uh never mind we're not doing this anymore (laughs) so there's a lot of game there there's a ridiculous amount of game there and you know anybody who listens to the show would have heard last week we talked to tom wetzel Uh, we actually had an interview with him two weeks ago where he talked about mission deep sea which is the 
kind of sequel game, mm-hmm. I guess, for the crew. Yep. So, good stuff. Have you played anything else? Not since Pax U. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, since we've already talked about our Pax Unplugged games, but you haven't, so if there's something you played at Pax Unplugged that you want to talk about, the floor is open. Merchants of the Dark Road. Okay. So we got to do a, a demo of that. It's cool because you're like collecting goods and then you have to use some of the goods to buy travelers and then you transport them from like the taverns and stuff to people in like the darker, spookier area. <laughs> the scary place. <laughs> And okay. it's cool because there's like only like five places. So you like move around and like based on what die you use determines how much movement you have. And then like based on what corner you're on, then you get to do the two actions adjacent to where your cart lands. Okay. And then we also got to see their fancy components. So the lantern was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited. I think I have a copy of that coming to me. So I'm very excited. Oh, very I'm either cool. going to try cool. and recreate as a cart or try and make an edible lantern. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, don't light the lantern while it's on fire. That would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> you mean don't eat it while it's on fire? <laughs> uh, it, what did I say? Light it don't while light it while fire. it's on fire. Okay. Well, I'm clearly an idiot. <laughs> don't eat it while it's on fire. Thanks for not laughing at me until a nature pointed out that I was a moron. I appreciate that very much. I know what you meant. <laughs> Oh, boy. It's been a long week, I guess. Uh, Yes. Uh, It's been such a long week. I'm going to tell you about a very simple game that I played with our boys. Uh, It's called Most Cutest. Okay. This is a game that I actually got at PAX Unplugged from the Forever Stoked booth. Now, Forever Stoked is not really a family game company, like... But this game is a family game. This is the only one that I felt like we could, you know, pull out and really talk about. And to be totally fair, this would be a great game to pull out at Christmas time or any like larger family gathering because this is minimum three players and it's got that apples to apples, you know, judge and guesser feel. There are five cards laid out on the table. They all have pictures of really cute animals with names. Sometimes the names make them cuter. Kevin the bear. He's my favorite. <laughs> and the judge for the round secretly picks which animal of the five out there they think is the cutest. Everybody else guesses. Not who they think is the cutest, but who who, they think the judge thinks is the cutest. Yeah, who the judge thinks is the cutest. Then the judge reveals. The judge gets one point for everybody who correctly guessed their thing. Everybody who correctly guessed also gets one point. All of the cards that were picked by anybody get discarded and new cards replace them. So you could have animals that have been out there for a while because they just weren't quite cute enough <laughs> for anybody to guess. And then all of a sudden you might realize like, oh, I like these better than the new ones that came out. Right, and, right, right, you know, right. kind of toss it up by guessing those instead. So that's the whole game. <laughs> Everybody takes two turns and then the game is over, which keeps it short. And honestly, like, Reading is a little bit helpful in this game because every animal has a name printed on it, but it's definitely not required. (laughs) So it was cute. It was fun. And most importantly, it was fast. I I think it's a really cute, unique, (laughs) cute is a word, uh, unique kind of icebreaker game because it's not an icebreaker game where you're like, so tell me something about yourself. You know, it's just 
everybody thinks things are cute. Right? Yes. So it's just kind of a way to get people talking and laughing and stuff like that. And I, I like that about it. Like, what do you mean the seal is cuter than the puppy? Be like, well, now you know, I really love seals. That does sound fun. It kind of sounds, has like a little Dixit component to it too. <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, kind of, kind of. The thing that makes this like, not at all deep is that the person who's judging is not giving any clues at all. They just like, they stare at the cards and then they're like, okay, I, I picked one uh, and that's it. <laughs> so it was fine. I have a feeling it'll come out again on Christmas day because it's definitely one of those where our youngest who's seven will have a really good time showing his adult relatives how to play. Yep. Yep. He likes to be able to be in the note. <laughs> yeah. Any game that he can teach, good day for him. Right. Uh, all right, that's uh, that's all we've been playing. Was there anything else from Pax Unplugged that uh, you came away with that you really liked? I was actually really surprised. I got to play Bank Heist. Oh, I like sure. went to I went to like the content creator meetup from mm-hmm. um, the charity board gamer. Yep. So I play with people that didn't know them at all, <laughs> and I'm not really a fan of social deduction games, so. I'm surprised I liked it so much. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris Kincaid, who's one of the makers of Bank Heist, was also at the butcher bar with us and ate, oh, yeah. and ate part of the trough. Oh, yeah. So there's a little Bank Heist connection there. So tell me what's unique about Bank Heist. Well, I like that it has like two distinct rounds. So like in the beginning, you're not really try- like you don't make guesses or anything. So and then based on your role, like you could start to figure things out. But there's like so many ways that they overlap because you're all trying to load the bank car up with money and then it's only like once you have it completely full then you start shooting and things like that and try to eliminate the people who aren't part of your team so i was one of the rivals <laughs> the sad thing is we would have won except i forgot that rivals could declare themselves and shoot twice oops <laughs> oops <laughs> but for a social deduction game i really enjoyed it <laughs> awesome cool there you go <laughs> All right, uh, why don't we uh, why don't we take a very quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk all about Board Game Bakes, the yeah. most delicious board game channel on YouTube. All right. All right, we'll be right back. Landscapes of the planet Earth are as beautiful as they are varied. In some places, a full day's travel could lead to a different landscape that looks like it's on a completely different world. We may be filled with wonder when we look up at the stars, but there are plenty of incredible things to look at when we lower our gaze from the skies as well. This is a snap review for Subastral. In Subastral from Renegade Games, you play as researchers trying to learn about as many biomes as possible and learn as much as you can about each one of them. Subastral was designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, and it was beautifully illustrated by none other than Beth Sobel. It plays two to five players, ages 10 plus, and a game takes about 15 to 30 minutes. So, Anitra, Beth Sobel. Let's talk about the art in Subastral. Uh, yeah, so we already mentioned it was illustrated by Beth Sobel. That really should tell you everything <laughs> you need to know. Each card is just beautifully illustrated. Each biome has its own picture. And there's also a cloudscape for the whole center of the table. Beth is an incredibly talented artist, and that's good because there's very little graphic design needed for this game. So the art really takes center stage. Personally... There's over 100 cards in the game, and it would have been nice to have more than the eight pictures that accompany the eight biomes, but given the feel of the game and the fact that it's a set collection game, it does work. 
I actually really appreciated that there are little facts for each biome, and they're different for each of the numbers one through six. So when you start the game, you modify the biome deck depending on the player count. Then each player takes three cards from that deck, insert the game end card, which looks like this, in the bottom, and put those cloud cards I showed you together to form the cloudscape. Put a biome card on each one of these cloud cards, face up. On your turn, you play a card. That's easy. <laughs> put that card face up into that center row of clouds onto whatever cloud number matches the number on the card. Then you can take cards on any cloud to the left or to the right of the card you just put down. Toward the left is called toward the biome, toward the right is called towards the sun. If you take cards on the biome side of the card you put down, add those cards to your hand. Then draw another card from the biome deck and add that to your hand as well. Ah, but if you take cards on the sun side, you add that stack to the tableau in front of you. That means that you can never play from your hand down in front of you, yes. which is tricky. You must match biomes that you already have down, but if you're putting down a biome that you don't have yet, it just goes next in line. When the game end card is drawn, keep playing until the last player in turn order gets to go. Then everyone gets one last turn before scoring. So remember, we said there are two different kinds of sets that you score. First, you're scoring mixed sets. These steps stop wherever there is a gap. So the order in which you put your biomes down as you collect them is really important for these kind of sets. A set of three in a row ends up scoring you six, one plus two plus three. A complete set of eight is 36. This is where that order becomes really important because if you have the first biome, the second biome, the third biome, and the seventh biome for your like second set, you only get to score three of them because of that gap that's there. So it gets pretty tricky. Once you're done with those, then you score matching sets. Find the two biomes in your tableau with the most cards. Multiply the count of cards times the column number. So in this example, the player is scoring 47 points for their mixed sets and 31 points for their two matched sets. All right, well, Anitra, what did you expect from this game? Pinchback and Riddle are great at making thinky games. We are fans of Pinchback and Riddle. <laughs> and so we knew whatever was in this box was going to have some kind of layered mechanic um, and probably be somewhat abstract, but it's really hard to know what you're getting just from the box. But it's a pretty box. It is a pretty box. <laughs> I thought there might be a little bit more digging into like the biomes themselves and maybe each biome has attributes and you're collecting sets of attributes. I didn't know. I, I was actually surprised that the theme does not matter in this game at all. So marrying a relaxing cerebral abstract game with a peaceful, you know, biome landscape art. It worked for me. I also liked the idea of the juxtaposition between the clouds and the ground. It, it kind of felt like people were standing in different places, you know, Around in the, the, in the world, but everybody was looking up at the same sky. It's this weird interconnectedness thing. I don't know. Like, it's a thinky game, I was thinking. It, I don't know. It works really nicely. <laughs> I think this is a great game for a couple like mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. or a group of people who don't mind just a little bit of analysis paralysis or who won't get bogged down by it. It is really easy to get tripped up by the challenge of balancing the cards to pull into your hand against those you want to take from the center and put in your tableau. Because you can't ever go direct from your hand to your tableau. Correct. Right. It's tricky. There's definitely a puzzle here, and it's not just luck, but it takes more than a couple of plays to really set a strategy and plumb the depths of the game. I think the suggested age range of 10 plus is probably about right. A younger kid could play this, but they're going to get tripped up 
by that feeling that the card they play is not the card they get to keep. I think this would be great to add to a game schooling repertoire mm -hmm. as we talk about the Earth and all of the various biomes in the Earth and why all of them are important and how they're different. So for us, we really love closing out our night with a game of Subastral. It's very full and also relaxing at the same time. Anisha, what are we going to rate Subastral from Renegade Games? I think we're going to rate it four out of five beautiful biomes. And that's Subastral in a snap. So now we're going to talk more about board game bakes. Yes, we are. Um, so and more about Paxio. So we left off with talking about the games that we had been playing. Uh, Danielle, you talked about Bank Heist, which is a game you played at the charity board gamer event. I probably walked by you while you were playing Bank because you guys were like tucked behind the like the big yeah, barrier the thing. You were like way in the corner. Yeah, I remember that. But I do want to talk about one more game that we both played at Pax Unplugged, and that was Kate May from Thunderworks because Corey and I were just sitting down to Cape May when this lovely young lady comes wandering over and says, I know who you are. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I recognize your logo. You're the family game. She's like, oh yeah. She's like, hi, I'm Danielle, board game big. She's like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> I, I just, it's amazing when I go somewhere and people are like, I know who you are. It's a cool thing. But so that was how we met each other at, at PAX Unplugged. Yeah, I haven't figured out a subtle way to do it. I'm just like, wait a second. <laughs> you know I, what? I'm you like, everyone's like, let's try to meet people. I'm like, I'm not really good at organizing this. I was like, wait, I know that person. <laughs> I'm going to say hi. That's I'm, what I would do. I'm the In one fact, who wants people not to light lanterns, okay? So <laughs> so don't worry about it. It's totally fine. No, it was awesome. And then we sat down and we played Kate May. So, so we talked about Kate May on the show last week. What did you think of Kate May? I really liked it. It was definitely a light game, but it was very beautiful and I definitely played again. So mm -hmm. I'm excited for it. It would be nice to see how we only got to see one of the seasons. Right. So I think it'd be cool to see how it developed with all the seasons as well. But I think my game group would probably like it. Yeah, I definitely would be interested to see how the game works out when the board becomes a lot more congested because it just there wasn't a lot of buildings on the board by the time we kind of finished our one season. KMA is like a sixty to ninety or more minute game just because of the way the mechanics of it work out. And, um, you know, when we talked about it, we said, yeah, it's not it's not really a family game. Like, it's not inappropriate. I mean, the content's fine, but it's just, like, it's too, like, cerebral and analytical. Well, and, and once you get to something that's that's billing itself as 60 minutes or more, yeah. uh, there are not a lot of kids I know who have the attention span for that. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are a few, mm -hmm. but it's not the norm for most kids. And you weren't building trains or anything, so... <laughs> Or fighting the dark side. It's pretty and it's nice and it, it was, See, that's it was why it's a perfect very for my relaxing channel because game. it's pretty and it's nice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I found it to be a very relaxing game, but at the end of the day, I was like, eh, not really, not really in our wheelhouse at the Family Gamers. Yeah, I feel like it could get more cutthroat towards the end because I was already, I think someone already blocked where I wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, definitely possible. I gotta refigure out what I want to do and how I could get there. Well, plus once you start getting really close on the set collection with the birds, you know, that could get really kind of dicey as well. You know, if people are trying to kind of look at what you've got for birds and be like, oh, I need to get a couple more birds. So yeah, I feel like it starts more. off very light, but I can see how it can very easily get a lot more clashing at the end. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yep. So that's how we met playing Kate May. But you're on the show to talk about, you know, what you do on YouTube and uh, how you were inspired. How did you get started doing board game bakes? Like what was... 
What, what made you do this crazy thing? Well, I was pregnant with my daughter at the time and not really happy at my job because I'm actually a certified pharmacist. Oh, wow. <laughs> so made a big, big change, but it was very stressful and stuff. And I was thinking about what I could do. So it was just really a combination of two of my hobbies because I like playing board games and I like baking and Nerdy num- Nummies is a show on YouTube that kind of does like more pop culture things. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I always really liked that. And I was like, well... I could try doing board games and I have a lot of fun. It gives me a lot of chances to try new bakes and stuff. Like tomorrow I'm going to make a cake that there would really not be res- reason for me ever to bake besides, <laughs> besides trying <laughs> to find something new for my show. That's very cool. Yeah. We have, um, we have had some nerdy nummy stuff in our house. Uh, well, we, we have the cookbook and we do so, the, well, that's where the motherboard cake came from. It is yeah. a, a couple of years ago. Now our daughter made the motherboard cake for Andrew for his birthday. Mm-hmm. I think that's also where the crystal gem things are. That, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> that are, it's, it's, are, it's a recipe for making rupee hard candy. I've done this twice now, and I am not a fan of most of what's involved with making hard candy. Probably mostly because I'm doing it with a seven-year-old who is yeah, super sugar, into it. Sugars of very frustrating things that takes forever to heat up. Yeah, and then unless you burn it, and then and then we mold the candies, and then there is sticky stuff all over my counter that doesn't yeah. want to come off. So, yeah, right. it's a fun time. Have you ever seen? Uh, is it Sugar High Score? Yeah, I've seen her too. She has a lot of just. I think hers are mainly just cakes a yeah. lot of time, but yeah. she has a mixture of like video game themes and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think she tends to do a little bit more video game stuff, but her, some of her stuff is crazy too. Well, some of Danielle's stuff is crazy. As well, I we're getting, we're okay, we're getting there. Nice segue, nice segue. <laughs> I think her fond end <laughs> stuff's probably a little better than mine, but I'm slowly getting better. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, that's all right. What's your favorite bake that you have ever done? Recently, I really like how Mariposa turned out. At least on the outside, Mariposa was was like a black fondant, but then I painted on butterflies and I used rice paper to make like 3D butterflies too. I so, saw that. Those were really cool. Very cool. Really, like, I recreate all of lanterns. That was a very thing. I was like, oh, this won't take that long. That's a lot There's of time. There's a lot of pieces <laughs> in that game. Yes. But then I play tasted that with all the tiles. So it's very satisfying. I love that you've introduced that gimmick on your show. Like, we're going to play taste this, which means we're going to play the game with edible components. And then eat them when you're done. And eat them. <laughs> love it. So let's talk about a couple of our favorites of your bakes. The Hughes and Q's cake you made is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> That's one of the things, like, there are some things where I see where I'm like, I can't do that, but I understand how it's done. The Hughes and Q's, like, the color mixing, I think I get it. But then I look at the end product and I'm like, I have no idea how you got from here to there. I'm just going to trust that you did it. (laughs) I'm so afraid when like mixing colors, when doing anything cooking related, that it's just going to end up looking like brown poop. I don't like to mix together that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess (laughs) you had to work pretty hard to do that. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. Um, The one that I thought was really, really cool um, was the Everdell tree. Uh, Just because I just the. You made it stand up and it like worked. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. I've never played the game, but I thought the I mean, I appreciate the architecture of baking stuff together to actually make it stand up. That was when I saw the game when it like first became popular. I'm like, I want to do that. (laughs) So I thought I finally got around to doing it. Well, I know one that you would love to play taste. Okay. um, And that's the cartographer's cookies that Daniel made. Okay, so I didn't see this video. So tell me about Cartographer's Cookies. I literally took the 
game board piece you get in the box and I traced it. <laughs> so the cookies were like the actual size of the board, literally just a cookie form of the game board. And then I got to play it with Scott from Thunderworks game. We played online. That was a lot of fun. I would eat that cookie. Yes, I know you would. I would rubber stamp, eat it. Little little like gel frosting to like show your different landform. You know what? I mean, the nice thing about cartographers is that when in doubt, you can just use colors. Yes. You don't have to actually do any particular design. It's like the blue one and the orange. Oh, no. She takes it and puts the purple on it. You know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So That's what edible markers are for. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, too. Um, Anitra, you saw some cookies that were at PAXU, which yeah. I didn't see. So I was not aware that you had not seen these, but I saw a couple of different folks, um, primarily Ken Franklin, post about your 12 days cookies. You actually made... What is that? 12 plus 11 plus 10. Yeah. I don't know. 80, it's a lot. 80 cookies. <laughs> oh my soul. You would have gotten one if I saw you later. <laughs> so you could play 12 days with cookies. On Christmas Eve, my play tasting video will come out. It's just a short one, but we got to play it at PacGio. So I wrapped them up since we are at a convention. But it's an interesting component because you had to like lift the cookies up. You don't like get to have a hand of cards. It's like, <laughs> what is this cookie again? <laughs> So we will we'll link to the video to that uh, in sure. the show notes because this sure. is going to come out on the 27th. So we'll make sure to link to the video of the play taste of 12 days. But along those same lines, I love how you're spreading the joy of like, you're doing all the work to make these cookies, but then you're like, this is so awesome. You know, people come play this game with cookies with me. Yeah, that was so much fun. I really love Risa from Kalaibi. She was definitely like helping get through the door in like the beginning of last year. So it was really fun to get to meet her. And she actually reached out to be like, hey, do you want to do this? And I put on Twitter, I'm like, so I could just do one of each or should I do all of them? And they're like, you could do all of them. Yeah. And I was okay, like, sure. yeah, I can. And then 15 hours later. And you're like, oh no, I'm only a quarter yeah, done. Never ask the internet because they have no idea what a level of commitment is. <laughs> well, I was at least smart and I started at 12. So right. I, by the time I got to the end, it was like, Four or one. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So um, I'm going to talk about one more cookie that I thought was amazing. It was the one that I ate and it was delicious. But the amazing thing about it was that it was a double-sided cookie. Well, like double-sided frosting. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Or yeah. icing. Oh, because yeah. yeah. you had the shifting stones. Box. Yes. So I went to the Game Right booth and I played Word Heist with Corey and Nora. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she had a couple of the Shifting Stones cookies that you made, which were notable because, as you may know, if you've played Shifting Stones, which Anitra, I know you have, yes. the tiles are double-sided. And so you actually made the double set. You made a, a full set of double-sided Shifting Stones tile slash cookies. I, I mean, really this is only like nine cookies. At least. I mean, it's only nine, but like, so but did you, did you make them and then frost them and then wait for the frosting to like dry or harden or whatever it does and then flip them over and then do the other side? Is that how you did it? Yeah. You had to basically do four coats. So it was like a multiple, multiple night process. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. That's insane. But it was delicious. Yeah. That it, one was pumpkin spice, I think. Oh, they were so good. It made it about 15 feet away from the booth <laughs> until it was in my belly. <laughs> Because I had a little nibble. I was going to have a little tiny bite and then put it away for later. And I was like, nope, that's not happening. <laughs> too delicious. Yeah, too good. Too good. So well, uh, I enjoyed I it. To, it, was, it was delicious. And I will point out, as listeners of the show know, that if you have any board game bakes failures, we do have a gimmick on the show called For Science where I will eat 
Just about anything that someone sends to me, as long as it's supposed to be eaten. You need to send him one of those cookies with the the hot, spicy icing. If you do, I will eat it on the show. So, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, so there's one more thing I want to point out, which is not every bake you do is this huge, time-consuming high level of skill thing. And I really appreciate that. I was looking through your videos and I saw the cookie meeples, the sugar cookie meeples. Um, and also that you did the gingerbread men from Roll For Your Life Candyman. And both of these, like while they do look impressive in the final version, these are simple enough. I was going to say for my daughter to do, but she's a better baker than I am. <laughs> these are simple enough for me to do. Yeah, that's the goal to make them because they're all, all my YouTube videos are tutorials that like tell you how I make them. So so now I'm just like, well, I don't really think anyone's gonna try this, but I'll tell them how to make it. <laughs> but there's definitely ones that are a lot easier. Like I did Gizmo's cheese balls and those were very, very easy because you just mix things together and then roll them and stuff. <laughs> oh, I could I could trust my seven-year-old with that. Yeah, I, he, I bet you, if it involves cheese, he would be more than happy cheese to do it. Cheese and something resembling baking. I think he, he'd yeah. be happy. Yeah. So what's your what's your dream bake? What's the bake that you really want to do that you haven't done yet? My current ambition is I think I may try making a re a big dinosaur cake for our Art Ravelry. We'll see if it happens. Okay. Okay. All right. And my first bake in the new year will be, have you ever heard of Four Gardens? It's from Sounds Arcane familiar. Wonders. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I know Arcane Wonders. I'm not familiar with the game though. It has a very pretty pagoda and like each of the levels spin around. Oh, I saw this being played when I went to QCon. Uh, so it's a very fun game that I enjoy as well, but it just has a huge table presence. So mm. I'm going to try and recreate the pagoda. Oh, that is a large Hopefully. Okay, big. All, Hopefully four, all well. four levels of it? Yep. I had my father-in-law help me and I've got a stand ready. Oh, oh okay. All right. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> so hopefully it turns out okay. But I like getting to push myself and try things and hopefully it works out. Well, I, I like, <laughs> and I like living vicariously through your baking successes because mine would not be successes. So, <laughs> all right. So you mentioned that your play taste for 12 days is coming out uh, for us tomorrow for everybody listening to this on Christmas Eve. We're going to include the link to that in the show notes. How frequently do you release a video? My goal is usually every Tuesday at 12 p.m. EST is when I have my regular videos. And then if it's a game that I can play taste, those are on Fridays at 12 p.m. EST. Awesome. So this podcast is coming out on the 27th. What's coming out on the 28th? Kind of anticlimactic, but I'm going to take a week off for the holiday. What? <laughs> what? Who does that? Nobody takes breaks, but that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> also to kind of stockpile things, so I start off not being behind. <laughs> I appreciate that so, so very much. That is an excellent idea. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Well, if people want to follow you on Twitter or on YouTube or whatever, where can they go to find your stuff? Where can they go to comment and be like, this is amazing and I want to eat everything that you make? Well, my YouTube channel is called Board Game Bakes. <laughs> um, my Twitter is um, at BGB Crumbles because apparently right. Board Game Bakes was taken. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> BGB Crumbles. All right. And my Instagram, which is the one with the pretty pictures, is Board Game Bakes, but it has the underscore between each of the words. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. Well, we will include all those in the show notes for this show as well. And then, you know, people will be able to find all your stuff. They should follow you. I don't like telling people what they do, but they should follow <laughs> you because, well, you'll get hungry. <laughs>
be inspired because, like I said, some of this stuff is simple enough that you could do it. And the rest is really inspiring that anybody can make these kind of things out of, you know, flour and sugar and water and eggs. But, I mean, you do make it look pretty easy. Maybe that's, you know, go you. It's okay. Someone commented, they're like, I want to play the game and eat it. I'm like, there you go. That's the whole thing I say. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> I'm like, you figured it out. That was the purpose. Thank you. That's Twitter, what I say. Hashtag, I say. hashtag play the game and eat it. Yep. So play your game and eat it too. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's where uh, people can find Danielle on the internet. Anisha, where can people find the Family Gamers online? Well, as always, you can find us on all kinds of social media at Family Gamers AA. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, every once in a while on TikTok. And you can join the Family Gamers community on Facebook, too. That's true. You can go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. It'll bring you right into the Family Gamers community. We've got 500 and something people that are all in there. And they're just sharing games that they've played with their kids or stuff that they've done that pat that weekend before. Some content creators are sharing some stuff on there as well. It's really a great place. And it's a very positive and supportive community. And yeah, uh, I'm, so. I'm pretty proud of it myself. Yeah. Not to be outdone. We now have an official YouTube with a Fancy Pants link. We do. Uh, we finally have enough subscribers <laughs> that now you can go to youtube.com slash thefamilygamers and yep. find us there. And there we are doing all of our Snap Review stuff. Everything that you hear in between the first half and second half of our show is also coming out in video form on our YouTube yeah, and we've been doing that for three, four months now. Mm-hmm. So if you were ever curious about some of the ones you heard in the past, go and watch the videos and see how these games look in real life and also what Andrew and I look like when we're making fun of each other. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember a game kind of and you remember like weird parts of a game, but you can't remember what game it is and you're kind of embarrassed to ask publicly, be like, what was that game that you did a review on like 25 episodes ago and it had like a like a, a snake in it with a thing or whatever, you can always email us. You can email me, Andrew, at the Family Game Anitra at the Anitra was wondering where I was going with that, but you know, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> you can check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs, stuff like that at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about the podcast, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you subscribe, whether that's TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, um, Amazon Music. Overcast, all the places. All the places. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, this is going to be our last podcast of 2021. So that's going to be it for us this year, everyone. Happy New Year. (laughs) So until next year, play games with your kids. kids.